Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Hello. It's good to be back in the pulpit. I appreciate Pastor Scott allowing me to do this. He called me last night at work and said, do you have something you can preach tomorrow because he wasn't feeling well? And I actually put this together uh, in anticipation of a Wednesday night service. And I looked at the message and thought, you know, I think this will dovetail pretty well with what he actually taught last Sunday. So, and by the way, I am wearing my mafia clothes today. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is in honor of my son's pastor, Pastor Achille, uh, who it came straight over from Sicily. Is that correct? And I, I, will, I would put money on this. And I might lose. I might lose. But last time that Lori and I visited Nathan and we went to his church, there was a guy on the front row and I leaned over to Lori and I said, that guy is mafia. <laughs> I mean, he looked, he sounded, he was very verbose and he had this thousand dollar suit on and he just looked like a mafia guy. I said, I'll bet you anything he's mafia. <laughs> hey, mafia needs Jesus too, right? It's a good bumper sticker. I wouldn't put it on my car, but it's a good bumper sticker, right? So this morning, I'm going to teach on church growth. I'm going to give you in one message, I'm going to combine all of the church growth books and seminars that have ever been taught into one message. How's that for a bold statement? Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to start. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 11. If I was about 100 pounds lighter, I actually could be a pretty good 59-year-old mafia model, couldn't I? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, brother. I know, you like that, you like that side view, don't you? you get, that looks mafia, doesn't it? Proper, prosperous mafia guy, okay. If you're watching on the internet, if you're mafia... Please don't send somebody after me. I'm just kidding. Love all of you. You need Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, who is the he that it's talking about here? Who's the he that is talking? Be careful when you shout out answers because I'll challenge you on it, okay? <laughs> Jesus gives the ministry gifts to the church. And it's interesting because Pastor Scott last week talked about the motivational gifts, the spiritual gifts, motivational gifts in Romans 12, spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and then he, he touched a little bit on the ministry gifts. So there's three sets of gifts in the New Testament talked about, and it's very interesting when you examine them, you see the Trinity in, in, all, in all these gifts, because the motivational gifts are in us when we're born. Motivational gifts are part of our personality. It's what motivates us. Some people are givers, some are exhorters. God, everybody has motivational gifts, and that's the great thing about motivational gifts. I love teaching on that, talking about it, because everybody has them. Not everybody may be used in a spiritual gift. Not everybody is called to be what we call a ministry gift, and that's because those gifts minister to the body of Christ. But everybody has motivational gifts. Everybody does. Everybody is born with them, and God's the one who makes us in our mother's womb. So God's the one who actually oversees and administrates, if you will, the motivational gifts, 
The spiritual gifts, who, who administrates the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12? Those operate as the spirit wills. And then who gives the ministry gifts to the body of Christ? Jesus does. So you see God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's just a little side note. I always think that's interesting, but maybe you don't. If you don't, just don't put it in your notes and write it off, whatever. So he himself, this is Jesus. We find that in the verses before that. You can read up on that. Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We call this the ministry, gift, ministry gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And I'm going to stop there for a moment. I'll ask you some questions. What is the purpose or the job description of the ministry gifts? These gifts that are given to the body of Christ, according to Scripture, according to this passage, what do you think is the primary job description, if you will, if I can use that term, of the ministry gifts? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So that's us sitting in the, in the chairs. To equip us for the working of the ministry and to build up. Edify means to build up, to build up the body of Christ. And it actually goes a little bit further than that. There's actually more to it than just those two things. Those are the two primary things that, and by the way, all five ministry gifts have the same job description. You realize the evangelist, we think of an evangelist and they think of themselves as being outside the walls of the church, out there evangelizing. But if you have the call of an evangelist on your life, I mean call, a calling, not just a motivation to go evangelize. Because all of us, as Scott said, Pastor Scott said last weekend, should be evangelizing. We should all have a heart to see people come to know Jesus. All of us should be doing that to some degree. I do it to a lot lesser degree, trust me, than somebody who is called to be an evangelist. I have a good friend, uh, Pastor Dan Dyer. We wrote that book, What Left Behind, Left Out Together. He was a pastor evangelist, with, without a doubt. We could be sitting in a restaurant together, and the next thing you know, if the waitress isn't saved, she's getting saved. I mean, there's just a grace and a gift and an anointing in his life to do that. I'm the kind of person that would rather sit with somebody after they get saved and teach them and train them in the Word of God. I'm a discipler. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor teacher. He was a pastor evangelist. So my gift for evangelism or my motivation for evangelism was a whole lot less than Pastor Dan's was. But it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be doing that. But somebody who has the calling or the grace and the anointing of an evangelist, their primary job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've got this, oftentimes in the body of Christ, we've got this flipped around where they think all of their job is outside the walls of the church. Really, their first priority should be in the church, training and equipping the saints to go evangelize. Can you see that? Am I, am I okay this morning? Are we off on this? Am I off on this? That's what the Word of God says, their, that their primary description, job description, is to equip the saints. The same with the apostle, the same with the teacher, the same with the, uh, the prophet. The prophet's primary responsibility is not just to come into a church and be a guest speaker and prophesy. 
They should be equipping the saints to prophesy. Now, how they do that, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. And I'm not saying that we should have, and, I'm, and trust me, Pastor Scott, I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. <laughs> I'm looking at the camera, so I'm looking directly to him in his living room this morning. I'm not trying to get in trouble. I'm not saying that we should have prophetic classes here at Living Word Family Church. I'm not suggesting that at all. But, I'm, but I am saying this according to Scripture. Even the prophet's primary job description, part of his job description is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, he can do that other ways. Gene May, if you've heard Gene May, he's been in this church many times. He is a uh, he, he pastored a church for a while. He's also a prophetic uh, person. He's got a prophetic grace in his life. He's also a teacher. So he equips the saints through teaching. But equipping the saints through teaching is not the only kind of equipping that should be happening in the body of Christ. There's, there's five ministry gifts, and they all have a grace, and they all have an anointing in their life to do certain things that are different from the other. And their first responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I would love to see that. I think personally, this is me, I think every local church should have a relationship with all five ministry gifts of some kind, where they know an apostle, they know somebody who's a prophet, they know somebody who's a teacher, somebody who's a pastor, somebody who's an evangelist. And that all five ministry gifts at some point in time during the year should come in and equip the saints to do that type of ministry. That's what I see in Scripture. Now, you may see it differently, Pastor Scott, if you may disagree too, and, and I don't want to get myself in trouble. You may never ask me to teach here again. <laughs> but this is what it says. This is what they're for, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen? Now, the other things that they do besides building up the body of Christ, number three, they promote unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so I'm not trying to create disunity this morning by saying some of the things that I'm saying. And, and Pastor Scott, forgive me if... <laughs> If you feel like I am, because I'm not. I'm just trying to expound upon what the Word of God says. But we should be promoting unity in the body of Christ. This event that we had putting together the food packets with other churches is fantastic because we're getting together with other Christians in the community and promoting unity within the body of Christ. And I, and I guarantee you, when Jesus comes, the church isn't going to be much better than what it is right now on getting along concerning all the doctrines in the Bible. There's going to be things that we disagree with with our Methodist brothers and sisters and our First Christian or Church of Christ brothers and sisters and other Christians in the body of Christ. That's just the way it is because we're imperfect human beings and we like to argue about stuff. You're wrong and I'm right. That's just the way it is, by golly. I think you're wrong, Bob. I disagree with you and we're just going to have to agree to disagree. You know, I mean... We're just human beings, and, and, and we like to think that we're right about everything that we see in Scripture and about our doctrines, and that other churches are wrong about certain things. I don't think that's going to change before Jesus comes. I think when Jesus comes and this corruptible puts on incorruption, that we'll be in perfect unity. But until then, we're probably going to have a lot of disagreements with a lot of other Christians and a lot of other churches but we are still part of the body of Christ. If they are born again and they've confessed Jesus as their Savior and they believe that God raised Him from the dead, they are brothers and sisters with us. And we should attempt to be in unity with them to the, to the biggest degree that we possibly can between now and when Jesus comes. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, so that's what the ministry gifts are also promoting. That's part of their job description. Number five, well, number four, I'm sorry, 
to perfect or mature the saints. That word perfect in here means to mature, to become mature. So it's Pastor Scott's and Pastor Mike's and Matt Kreider and whoever else is on staff, even the elders. It is their job to help mature the saints. And how many of you know we need, we need maturing? I need maturing. I'm, I'm, I'm mature in some areas and immature in other areas. And we all need to mature. We all need to grow. And that's part of the ministry gifts. That's part of their job description as well. And the fifth thing is this, not allowing cunning craftiness or trickery of men to carry the saints around through every wind of doctrine so that they may grow up in all things into the head, Christ. That's also a part of what the ministry gifts should do. So one of the things that a pastor does is watch out for the cunning craftiness, for false doctrine. I've had, I've had to, I mean, I've had people come up to me after a service and say, so-and-so told me this, and I watched this on YouTube, and what do you think about this? And I say, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so hard sometimes to just not want to roll your eyes and just say, how long have I been with you? you are, are you saying that you actually believe that? I'm sorry, I'm not trying to talk down and I'm not trying to be condescending and, and negative and all that. It's just, as a pastor, I'm telling you, sometimes it can get very frustrating because you teach the truth of the Word of God. You want them to have a solid foundation. You want them to grow and mature in the Lord. And then they come at you out of left field with something and you just go, what? Let's sit down and talk about this, you know? And then they get offended and leave your church. Because you didn't agree with them. That, you know, aliens came down and preached to somebody and, and Jesus was an alien and, you know, whatever. Some weird thing that they saw on YouTube, you know, that they believed because somebody said it. But it had nothing, no basis in Scripture. Everything that we believe has to have a scriptural basis. If you cannot find two or three passages to back up what you believe, don't believe it. It really is as simple as that. And somebody will say, yeah, but you know, there's a lot of things that aren't talked about in Scripture. I mean, we don't know everything there is to know about God. Right. But everything that we need to know and everything He wants us to know is right here. We'll find out the rest later on. And I, I guarantee you for all eternity, we're going to be going... Wow. Never knew that. Wow. I mean, we're going to spend eternity just in awe of God because He is so amazing and so phenomenal and there's going to be so many things that we're going to find out. But for this life, this is what we have. And we can't make stuff up. We can't read things into it. We have to draw truth out from it. This is not a teaching on Bible interpretation, but anyway, I'll move on. Second question I have is this. So what is the expiration of the ministry gifts according to Scripture? According to the church that I grew up in, they were essentially a three-gift church. They believed in the pastor, teacher, and evangelist. They did not believe the apostle and the prophet were still valuable and viable in the church today. And there's a lot of denominations out there like that. Again, this is nothing against denominations. If they're born again, they're brothers and sisters, and we can disagree with them politely and kindly. But that's how I grew up. We didn't believe in the prophet, prophetic ministry. We didn't believe in the uh, apostolic ministry. But according to this passage, what is the expiration of all five gifts? 
When, when do the, all five gifts, when will they not exist anymore? When Jesus comes, until we come to the unity of the faith, when is that going to happen? <laughs> I venture to guess, and I think it's a pretty good guess. I don't think it's a guess. I think it's truth. It's going to happen when Jesus returns. I don't think there's going to be true unity until then. I don't think we're all going to become perfect and mature until Jesus comes and changes this mortal to immortal. Because I'm battling this mortal every single day. I'm battling thoughts in my mind and, and things every single day. I'm battling imperfections in my life every single day, and so are you, no offense. <laughs> it's just truth, right? So the expiration of all five ministries, that mean, you know what that means? Do you realize what that means for the body of Christ? All five, all five ministry gifts are still valuable and viable in the body of Christ today. That means you, we can have a prophet come into the church and speak prophetically to us. That means we can have an apostolic anointing. Now, there are discussions and differences and, and maybe some arguments in the body of Christ as to what the apostolic looks like today. I get that. You know, the, when the last apostle died, all the gifts passed away. We know that's not true. Who was the last apostle? Apostle Fred? Who was the last apostle? I, you know, some of these, I'm not, I'm not I, sound, I sound condescending. I don't mean to sound that way. I'm very passionate about some of these things. You have to forgive me. Just bear with me. But listen, there are still apostles in the church today. I know that because I have had them speak into my life. I've had them help me in ways that just were like, whoa. And let me tell you a story about that real quickly. When, when I left the church in Sullivan that we were at for 21 years, in our, bylaw, in our bylaws, I had to submit myself personally to apostolic oversight. Uh, that's not very common in the body of Christ today because we don't talk about apostles too much. But I believed that the apostolic anointing and grace is still viable in the church because there's nothing in Scripture that says it ever passed away. I believe that an apostle is somebody who can come into a church and set things in order. Pastor Larry, in my opinion, had an apostolic anointing. There are many pastors who look to him. If they had problems in their church, they would call Pastor Larry and say, what should I do about this? And he would go, boom, 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 boom. That's an apostolic anointing. He can set things in order. He, they can see things that I, that I as a pastor can't see. And I had, the, I had not just one person that I told my board and my congregation was apostolic anointing in my life that I, would account, that I would hold myself accountable to. I had three people, and it was Gene May, Dan Dyer, and Pastor Larry. So any one of them, if I got off, if I got off kilter in the pulpit or I started doing something stupid in the church, any one of them could have come in and jerked a knot in my tail. They had the authority to do that according to our bylaws. My board, my, my board could call them up and say, hey, Pastor Larry, Pastor, uh, uh, Gene, Apostle Gene or Apostle Dan, Jeff's doing something and teaching something that he shouldn't be. Can you come and talk to him? And they, they had the authority and the right to come in and talk to me and straighten me out. That's how our bylaws were set up, and that's how I operated in my church. So the other thing that happened was when, when, when I left, and I, and I wasn't planning to leave, we set those bylaws up in 2004 maybe, sometime in there, I left in 2020. Bylaws had been in place for all those years. 
And in our bylaws, it said that if I left, that I would choose the next pastor along with the apostolic oversight. So if they were in agreement with the person that I chose, that's who was going to be the pastor of the church. That's what our bylaws said. Now, when I left, we had a lot of people in the church wanting to uh, have a vote for a new pastor, which, in my opinion, is not biblical. When did the Apostle Paul ever send Timothy somewhere and say, go to Ephesus and preach, and if they like you and vote you in, then you can be the pastor there or the elder there? It's not biblical. The apostles would send somebody. In their authority, they would say, you go to such and such and be an elder there. You go and be a pastor here. Because they either raised up that church, just like Paul said to the Corinthians, I'm an apostle here. I have, I've raised many of you up. I baptized many of you. And he said, when I come, do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come? I mean, he had apostolic authority there. That's what apostolic authority is. They can come in and say things to the congregation and to the pastor and to the leadership that other people can't. Now, understand this, too. Apostolic oversight is about relationship. It's not about somebody coming in and declaring that they're an apostle in your church. It's not command control. It's relationship. It's built through relationship. All three of the people that I had in my life that I submitted myself to for apostolic oversight, I had relationships with, and I knew them, and I knew they were good men, and I knew that they had an apostolic anointing in their life. So the Sunday that Lori and I, <laughs> I get emotional talking about this, I'm sorry. We were, we were having an issue with one of my board members in the church. I don't want to go through all that. It's, I always tell people this, the first six years that I pastored were the most difficult, and the last six months were the most difficult. And we, we were having an issue with one of my board members who was trying, essentially trying to take over the pulpit, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. And uh, the Sunday that Lori and I, we looked at each other after the service, we had three or four families leave the church that day because of some events that had happened. And we looked at each other and I said, honey, I said, we need to go. Because if we don't, this thing's going to get a lot worse. It's going to fall apart. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to my people. I don't want that to happen to the church. And I just knew it was time. God had been dealing with me about transition. I had had a prophetic word from a man who was a prophet about transition. Matter of fact, let me tell you this story, this little side story. A couple of years before that, I had a man come in. His name is David Briggs. Phenomenal teacher, and he's a prophet. And I've never done this before. I, I've never done it since. But I said, Lord, I had had transition on my heart, and I just knew that God wanted me to transition out of Word of Life Church. And I said, if you can have this man have a word for me concerning that, I would really appreciate it. And I've never, I've never asked the Lord for a word before. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying I had never had. And the problem with that is David can't come in and say that from the pulpit in front of the congregation that you're going to be, pastors are going to be transitioning. You know, so how's this going to happen? After the morning service that morning, it was just Lori and I and David and his wife Melta sitting in the sanctuary by ourselves, and he began to prophesy to me about transition. And Lori, <laughs> I love my wife, but, um, and, I, and I love her concerns. I mean, you know, she, she keeps me in balance. But she was concerned that I was wanting to transition simply because I wanted to just get out of ministry. And that wasn't it. That really wasn't it. I just felt like it was time. And he looked right at Lori and he said, I want you to know something. He said, your, your husband is not running from anything. He said, this is of me. 
And her jaw just about hit the floor. (laughs) But that's where the prophetic ministry is so important. So important. Giving us guidance, giving us direction, helping giving us guidance and direction. Confirming things that are in our heart. So I had this word, and I knew I was supposed to transition. We just didn't know how. We didn't know who. I didn't know who I was going to put in place as a pastor. Because I I tried to train a young man up in my church, and then he ended up leaving the church. And nothing was working out in, in terms of me bringing somebody up. I didn't know what to do. But I knew that after that one Sunday morning, Lori and I looked at each other and said, we've got to go. What do I do now? Well, Dan Dyer was about 10 miles from, from me, and, and they had a morning service that morning too. I called Dan up, and I said, Dan, I need your help. Well, it's, kind of, it's a somewhat of an emergency for us. I need you, if you can, to come over and pray with us and talk with us for a little while. He said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Now, everybody was gone from the church that morning. The front door was locked, and when Dan got there and came in, I could almost visibly see the apostolic grace in his life. And in my heart, I said, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. That's what an apostle does. And he prayed. We talked and prayed for three hours that day. And I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget the love and compassion that he had for us. And then he said to me that morning, he said, I want you to pray about and consider merging your church with our church. He had planted not only Whosoever Will in Duggar, Indiana, but they also planted High Point Community Church in Miram, Indiana. That was another church that Dan had planted. That's another thing that apostles do. They plant things, they bring them up. Uh, they, they train and equip people. Anyway, so Dan said, I want you to consider merging your church with that church because they had about 80 people and they were outgrowing the building that they were in. He said, I don't want to build a building in Miram, Indiana. It's a very small community. He said, I'm not going to spend, you know, a quarter of a million dollars building a building over there. And he said, you'll get 80 people plus praise and worship team plus a pastor and an associate pastor to merge with our church. Same beliefs. And I was just like, Wow. I, had, I mean, Lori and I looked at each other, had no idea what we were going to do, and, and an, you know, three hours later, there's a plan. That's what God does through the ministry gifts. It's not just for the body. I'm telling you, ministry gifts should hold each other accountable as well. Ministry gifts should minister to each other. It's so important, and I want you to know this morning, and this is not, this is not even what my message was all about. I guess this is the way God wanted me to go for now, but... All five ministry gifts, folks, are still viable and important in the body of Christ today. All five of them. Pray that, pray that uh, if there's not a relationship with those in this church, pray that maybe someday there will be. I don't know. I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, Pastor Scott. I'm just saying, and I hope that what I'm teaching is okay. I, I don't want to have coffee with them tomorrow and get rebuked. <laughs> okay, so... Now I want to focus on the main subject of my message this morning. See how much time I have left. Okay, I don't have much time, but I'll try to get through this as quickly as I can. And that is church growth. Uh, Ephesians 4.16 says this. This is after all of the ministry gifts and what they do and what, and what God's going to do through them. He says, verse 16, From the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth in the body of Christ for the edifying of itself in love. 
that one verse encapsulates every church growth book, every church seminar. How does the church grow? How, how does this place get full? How, the fullest I've ever seen this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Mike, was when uh, Jesse Duplantis was here. We had that two-week-long revival. Uh, there were other speakers, but when Jesse Duplantis came here, I think the balcony was full and, and the place looked full. What is it, seat six or 700, something like that? So how does this place get full? Because that's what we all want to see is the body of Christ and the kingdom of God grow in our local church, along with our community, but especially where we're at, right? How does it happen? Does it happen through having the latest and greatest and best church growth program? where we follow up with everybody with a card and then the phone call and then we bring them into a class and then we get them, in, we get them to connect with people. And, and I've been to church growth seminars. and I'm, I mean, I've, we've had that in RMAI. We've, we've, I've read books and all of that. There's a lot of church growth plans out there. Do we do it by having, uh, do we do it by having a, a class or, or a group for every psychological malady in our culture today? For the he's and she's and it's and all of that. And if they're confused about their gender, we'll have a class for it. Get them connected in the body somehow, right? Is that a good church growth plan? Do we, do we expect the pastors and the elders and, and all of them to come up with some sort of evangelistic program that's going to grow the church? Is that how we do it? The Bible says every part doing its share causes growth in the body. Whoa. So you mean, you mean God is putting the responsibility back on all of us, not just on the leadership. You know, the leadership gets vision from God and promotes that vision and, and speaks that vision and teaches that vision and, and trains and equips and does all the things that I mentioned before, that the scripture mentioned before. But whose, whose responsibility is it to actually grow the body? It's, every, it's all of us. It's, it's every part doing its share causes growth in the body. So my question for you this morning is, what is your part and are you doing that part? Your part may not be evangelism because I, this is going to sound terrible. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not a very evangelistic person. I want to see people get saved. I've prayed with people to get saved. I've baptized people. Dan's church was a lot larger than mine was because he was a pastor evangelist and I was a pastor teacher. I'm not knocking Dan, and, and Dan is not a typical evangelist who just wants to see people get saved but doesn't have int an interest in teaching and going deeper in the Lord. Dan has a very deep walk with God. Uh, but I have noticed that there have been evangelists come through even Living Word Family Church over the years that can't sit under a teacher for very long. They always go out there. Because this, this church isn't doing enough. I'm done. This, this teaching bores me to pieces. i got to be out there evangelizing. Why don't you train somebody else in the church and take them along with you and evangelize and help grow the church? And then submit to the pastor. <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound so negative. I'm not trying to sound negative, folks. I'm just telling you. I've seen this over, a year, over the years, and it just frustrates me to pieces. Why, why, can't you, why can't you just submit to a pastor and be part of a church body? And help equip the saints to do what you feel called to do. Rather than get all frustrated because the pastor isn't doing what I want him to do. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. It's about you doing your part. 
and finding your place and doing the things that God's called you to do to help grow the church and help grow the kingdom of God. You know the biggest problem we have in the church? Let me, let me just skip because I, I don't have a lot of time left here. Let me just skip down. <laughs> I'm skipping way down on my notes. It, why doesn't the church grow more effectively? Here's a few reasons, okay? <clears throat> One of them is that people de- desire to do things they're not equipped to do. And I say this as, as lovingly and compassionately as I can, but if you're not a drummer, please don't get up on the drums. And, and David and, and Jeff and Mike and any other drummers in here, uh, Johnny, is Johnny here today? Johnny can attest to this. It's, it's very painful for us to listen to somebody try and play who can't play. Oh, stop, stop, stop. Please, stop. And by the way, David, this morning, you shredded it, brother. We, David and I have a scale of, of, there's three, I don't remember what the other words were, but shredded, yes. Shredded is at the top. He, we always say to each other, man, you shredded it today. The, the, on, uh, what, what was that song you were doing, the, the, the crash of the cymbal and the bass drum on the same beat for a little while? That, I, I was really struck by that. There was a couple other things, too, that were just like, ooh, I'm going to have to incorporate that. But... If, if you can't do something and it's really not in you, it's not part of your DNA, it's not part of your talents and gifts, stay away from it. Don't do it. Listen, the last thing in the world that Living Word Family Church would ever want is for me to be involved in the finances of this church. <laughs> if I went up to Steve Welter and said, you know, Steve, I really feel called by God that I, I need to do what Jake's doing and help you with the finances and the accounting and all of that. Steve's response to me should be, would be this, no way. You're not doing it. Because when it comes to numbers, it's not my thing. I mean, there's a lot of things I can't do. There's some things I can do fairly well. But we should know what those things are and do them with all your might. If you knit, not a knitter. My mom used to knit. She used to crochet and do all that stuff. She made my brothers and I these rabbit sweaters that were red and white when I was a kid. I mean, I was probably four or five years old, and Doug was six, and Brad was probably eight. And we, she made the same ones for all three of us, and we have a picture of it somewhere in our album, family albums with all three of us wearing those sweaters. <sighs> but, they, but they were amazing. I mean, it was amazing that somebody can actually do that kind of stuff. There's got to be something in the body of Christ you can do with that. They're having a craft day. They're having a whatever. Fel- to, to get people together in fellowship and bring somebody in who's not a Christian and let them see the church and let them meet the people. There's something you can do. Every single person in this room has a gift or ability that can be used in the body of Christ to grow the body. But please don't try to do something that you're not called to do. The praise and worship team was phenomenal this morning because they're doing what they're called to do. The teachers in the classroom do a fantastic job with your kids and your grandkids. The, the, the financial team, the sound people, the production. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the production room? The cameras and the, and the PowerPoint stuff? I don't know if that's called PowerPoint. They, they call it something else, whatever that is. I used to call it PowerPoint. I'm, a, I'm an old guy. And the live stream sound and all that. It's fun stuff to do, but if you're not called to do it, don't go in and mess it up. No offense. 
you know what I'm saying though? Just do what you're called to do. Appreciate what other people can do. Thank them for it. Pat them on the back. But do what you're called to do and do it with all your might. The second reason that some people or that the church doesn't grow is that people think everybody should desire to do what they do, what they do or what they want to do. <clears throat> I've, I've, and again, I'm not trying to pick on the, the, the calling of an evangelist today, but I've noticed that a lot with people who have a God-given calling, not just, not just an unction to go evangelize, but I'm talking about a grace to evangelize. They will look at everybody else if they're not evangelizing and think they're not doing something for the body of Christ. And that is simply not true. Simply not true. Uh, Chief Tyler, I think I mentioned this in one of my previous messages, Chief Tyler, Champaign Police Chief, is an evangelist. And he said this, we were having coffee with him one morning at Panera, and he said, all I want to know is somebody gets saved. He said, I will pray with them. And when they say the Lord's, the sinner's prayer, and they get born again, he said, I walk away from them, and I trust that God has somebody he's going to bring into their life to disciple them. Good for you, Chief. He, he knows his lane, and he's staying in his lane. My lane is discipleship. My, I would spend hours with somebody if they have questions about the Word of God and want to know something about what God has done or, or teaching from the Bible. I'll sit and talk with them for hours and disciple them. But when it comes to evangelism, I want people to get saved, but I don't have that same grace and anointing in my life that other people do. And I know that. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. All right, I'm, I'm hurrying here. One last thing. Maybe a couple. Another reason is Christians not doing things that God has equipped them to do, sometimes because it's not glamorous enough or the job doesn't get enough recognition, and doing things they're not equipped to do causes strife and many other problems in the body of Christ. I remember having people come to me as a pastor and say, I'd like to do such and such, and I look at them and go, I don't think so. It just doesn't work for me. I just don't see it. And then there's other people that would come and say, I want to do such and such. And I'm like, yeah, you're the perfect person for that. Why don't you start that up? If you're going to do something, by the way, and I, I think Pastor Scott would appreciate this. If you're going to do something in the name of Living Word Family Church, it needs to be sanctioned by the church and approved by the church. Doesn't that just make sense? That's, that's respectful. That's responsible. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a Bible study in your home or evangelize or do something that you're gifted to do or teach somebody on your own because that's your gifting and that's what you feel like you're led to do. If you're doing that on your own, go do it. Go do it to your heart's desire. Amen? You should be doing that. So, so do what God has called you to do. Stay in the lane that God's put you in. Here's some biblical suggestions. I'm going to end with this. Do what God has equipped you to do without complaining, and remember that your reward is in heaven. You know, pats on the back are nice, and I know Pastor Scott and Pastor Mike and Matt, they try to thank everybody and, and make sure that they get all the names, and, but there's always somebody that's going to be missed. And I know that from my years in ministry, and I, and I apologize profusely if I miss somebody because I appreciate everything everybody does, and I know that they appreciate everything everybody does in this body. That's one thing that's, that has been here since Pastor Larry began this church is a great ministry of helps. There's been guest speakers and others come in here and say, I, I cannot believe how many people are involved in this church. We have something very unique and special here at Living Word Family Church. And I know that you, I know you see that and I know you regard that, but, but it really, we, we, we don't think about it and stop to think about it enough, but it is unique. 
We have a lot of people involved. We have a lot of very talented people here. Number two, don't complain. I already said that when you're not getting enough pats on the back. Did I say that? Okay, I went into number two there just a, just a second ago. Number three, stay in your lane. Um, and, I, and I mentioned that with the drums. That's just something that I can relate to. Um, you know, another thing that you would not want to watch me or hear me do is get up and sing a solo. I think that would probably, we'd probably lose people from the church if I did that. I just closed my Bible and the timer went off. That's not bad. Yeah. What are you saying? What are you saying about apostles? We, we probably will. I love you, Scott. We, we probably will have a discussion about that. And I apologize if I said something I shouldn't have said. Anyway, um, what I want to do this morning, though, as I close, is, is really pray for everyone in this body that we would find our place. There's nothing more exciting, I think, for a pastor than to see somebody really get in that place where they function so well. And the pastor doesn't have to worry about it. The pastor doesn't have to look all over their shoulder all the time. It just moves along so well. And they're doing such a great job with it. And, and as I said, I, I truly believe if I could have a conversation with you, anybody in this church for probably 15 or 20 minutes, I could probably recognize some gift, gifts and abilities in you. And then my next question would be is, what are you doing with those? Are you serving the Lord with them? Are you doing something to build the body of Christ with that? And I really want to pray this morning that each and every one of us would find that place and be bold enough to step out into it. And I'm not talking about being bold enough to go up to Pastor Scott and say, you know, Pastor Scott, I really think that I should have the pulpit at least twice a month. You know, let's not, let's think about what you're saying. Think about your desire. Is it a godly desire or is it just something that I want? If it's a godly desire, then God will make a way for it. If it's a Jeff desire it's going to fall flat. And so we need to be discerning about these things. We need to be mature about these things. We also have to be mature enough to understand that the pastor might say, no, that's not, that's not it, and it's not going to happen right now. And if he says that, then that's called submission to authority in the local body. And we say, yes, sir, that's fine. Amen. And not get our, not get our heart hurt or our, our, our self-chapped over something like that, you know. Because the pastor said no. Well, I told him I wanted to do something, but he wouldn't let me do it. So I'm not doing anything anymore. <laughs> By golly. You know, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that take that attitude. And it's a wrong attitude to have. Because they're not submitting themselves to God or the leadership in the church. So let me pray for all of you this morning. Is that okay? Just where you're seated. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity, Father, to teach on these things. I, I, I pray, Lord God, I have not said anything that is not according to your word or something that will even ruffle the pastor's feathers. Father, I, I pray that, uh, that everything I said is, is uh, okay and received well, Father. But most of all, Lord God, the whole point of this this morning, Father, is for each of us to find that place in this body where we can function and grow ourselves. We can grow, but also, Father, where we are doing our part, doing our share that would cause this local body to grow. And Father, each of us have a part in this local body. Each of us, we're, we're the eyes, we're the hands, we're the, we're the feet. We're, we're, each of us are part of something in this body, Father. And if we're not, we should be. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that each and every one of us would pray and seek your face 
and find out what it is that you have in our lives, the gifts and abilities that you've put in us that we can use in this body to help grow this church and that we can use outside the walls of this body to help grow this local body, to help grow your kingdom, Father, because you have given each of us those things. You've given each of us a place and caused each of us to be set in this body. We're the joints, Father. We, we might be a little toe, but we're still part of the body. And the little toe never complains about being a little toe. The eyes never look at the feet and say, why did you step in doggy doo-doo? They each do their part. They each do their share. They each function the way that you created them to function. And so, Father, that's my prayer this morning, that each and every one of us would, would act and, and do in this body the things that you've created us to do and function the way that you have designed us to function and that this body would be blessed and it would be built up and edified in itself in love. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the instruction from your word this morning, Father. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the praise and worship team can come up. I'm, I want to give an altar call this morning. I don't want to quit without doing that. You can stand, stand up if you would with me and... My timer was set for 40 minutes, by the way, and I just looked at my watch. It's almost 1130. We usually get out of here long before that. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, You know, in order to find out what God has for you in the body of Christ, you first have to be in the body of Christ. And to do that, you need to be born again. And salvation is not difficult. God made salvation the easiest thing in Scripture to do. Because it's not about us. It's about what he did for us. Amen. It's all been done for us. The only thing we need to do is accept it and confess it. And so Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It's very definite. You will be saved. So salvation, as I said, is probably the easiest thing. And even the faith and the grace to get saved is from God. It's a gift from God. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you've never been saved, as the Bible says. That's a word, that's a Christian, that's not Christianese, that's a biblical word. Born again and saved are both terms for the same thing, for salvation, being born again believer, being a child of God. So if you've never done that, I want to invite you to come down and, and I'll pray with you. Also this morning, and one of the things that I am very passionate about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have been born again, but you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I will pray for you that you will speak in tongues, because I think speaking in tongues is one of the most valuable gifts that God's ever given us. It builds us up, it edifies us, it builds our faith. It's something we can do every single day, and I try to pray in tongues every single day. But either one of those things, you want to be saved, you want to be born again, and you've never made that decision, come down here this morning and let me pray with you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Nothing wrong with this. I'm not, I'm not putting this down. Nothing wrong with... Raise your hand. Okay, now those who raise their hands, step on out. No, I'm going to ask you to be bold this morning and say, I want this. I need to be saved because I need to become a child of God. My life is not going the way that it should be going and I need to change directions and I need to go God's way. And the first step in that is to become born again. 
If you're not born again this morning and you want to be saved, come down here and let me pray with you. Or if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're already born again and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come down. Either one of those two things. Would you come down here and let me pray with you while they play? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.